welcome. It makes me sad that this is our last time together. Um, and I'm glad that it's a sunny day. Um, it feels like spring and I was talking to a friend about how we were both sad that it was ending, but we're like, you know, May gets so crazy, especially with, I don't know, sports and school. It's kind of nice to finish something well before you're too tired. So I'm glad that we're finishing well today. Um, we're going to wrap up Colossians where we've been all semester in chapter four. And so just to recap, I know some of y'all have popped in and out, some of you have been in, in um, Bible study with us every week, but we're going to recap and just talk about where we've been in Colossians. So remember, Colossians was written to new Christians in the church at Colossae, and that is a small town. It wasn't a big hub um, in what is today modern-day Turkey. And um, Paul has never been to this church. His friend and co-worker, Epaphras, took the gospel and planted the church to this city that had never... You know, this is not the Sunday school crowd. No one ever knew anything about God, about Jesus. Um, and he planted this church. And Paul is writing this letter not only to encourage these new Christians, but to give them specific truths to remember about who Christ is, about who he is, what he did, and what that meant for them. And the whole letter, it's just beautiful. He's holding up, okay, this is who Christ is, and this is who you are in Christ. Um, Christ is the exact image of God, and he is living inside of you if you believe in him. Um, he also has warned them against false teaching. We don't know exactly who it was or if it was multiple people, but somebody somewhere was spreading this notion that you need something else. You know, maybe Jesus can get you 80%, but if you want true fullness, you're going to need something else. And, and Paul is saying that's absolutely not true. You have everything that you need in Christ. You have been rescued. You've been redeemed. Uh, you've been reconciled, you've been regenerated, you are new creations. Um, and so for three chapters, Paul has told them this, you have everything because of your union with Christ. And so we too, in Christ, have everything. Um, our sin and guilt and shame don't have a permanent hold on us. Um, we're forgiven. And we are new creations. Remember we t kept talking about the putting off and the putting on. We are wearing the robes of Christ. They don't always fit us yet. They are true of us, but sometimes we're still getting used to what it looks like, what it feels like to wear um, this character, this righteousness of God, but we're still to be putting it on day in and day out. Um, and we're so richly loved by God that, that last week we talked about we can go out, and that affects every relationship that we have. We can love others. Uh, we, lo we talked last week about how um, the gospel affects our relationships at church, how it affects our relationships within our own family, and how it affects our relationships with people that we work with. And so as we come to a close in chapter 4, um, Paul is challenging them and us to look at how the gospel um, affects the outsider. For three chapters, he has talked about how it affects them, the Christian, and now he is um, tasking them to, to switch their vision, to look outwards, to those who are not believers, to those who don't yet know Christ. Um, and if we have truly been brought from darkness to light, if we have had our hearts changed um, by the gospel, if we truly believe that, that this is good news, then we have to share it too. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, and I just want you to think about good news, right? When we have any kind of good news, whatever it is that excites you, whether it's like a new recipe or maybe there's a sale at your favorite store on the square, you want to share it. Um, we love to share like, oh my gosh, look, look at this picture. My you know, daughter just had a grandbaby. Or we share good news. It's something that is hard for us to keep to ourselves. Maybe it's a sports win, whatever it is. Good news travels fast. Um, and evangelism is what we're going to talk about today. 
um, which is just sharing the good news of the gospel with outsiders, with those who don't believe. And evangelism is always the call for Christians, but it's really timely. I don't know how many of you were here on Sunday. Our church had our missions conference, and so we were just talking about this um, on our mission Sunday with Sandy Wilson, who said, never tire of doing good, never grow weary of doing good, of taking the gospel to the outsiders. So Paul is calling them to shift their perspective from inwards to outwards, from themselves to the unbeliever, and um, specifically in that time, he's just talking about the world around them. But it's also applicable for us. Um, and here is my attempt at encouragement, because I feel like when anyone mentions evangelism, we all get a little nervous, or at least I do. It's like, okay, wait, what do I have to do? What does that mean? Is that going to be awkward? I don't know how to do that. Um, I want to I wanna first tell you this illustration. Okay. <laughs> There, um, y'all may be familiar, if you love the Olympics like I do, Sean White is a winter Olympic champion. And in 2010, um, in Vancouver, he won the gold medal for an event called the Half Pipe, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically like a skateboard without wheels. And they are just doing crazy tricks on these snowy half pipe. I don't know, it's kind of this wall that they skate down and it just looks really dangerous and really fun. But he, so this is a new sport, and, or at least it's, you know, 20 years old, and he dominated so much so you get certain amounts of runs, certain amounts of tries to do these tricks and get grades on them. And so going into his third and final run, he already has so many more points than everybody else. There is absolutely no way he is not going to win the gold medal. He literally could just put on his board and skate straight down and do zero tricks. It was mathematically impossible for him to lose. But he still had one more run left. And so technically, he didn't really have to do anything. Um, and what's cool was the, the commentators were, I mean, the, yeah, the sports commentators were like, oh, my gosh, I mean, what's he going to do? Like, he could, he could literally scoot down and do nothing. Um, but instead, what he did was something called, that he made up, because he's like a pioneer of the sport, a double McTwist 1260, which is <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. Um, it's a trick that he does three and a half flips while somehow, three and a half twists while flipping. I mean, like, I can't even picture what that looks like. It had never been done before. He lands it perfectly. So he's already got the gold, and then he, like, did whatever this crazy trick was. And it, it was amazing. And so with the gold medal locked up, on a run that he didn't need, he absolutely nails it. And it was still one of the best tricks. I mean, they'll show it over and over again. It's still one of the best tricks that was ever landed in Olympic snowboarding. And the discussion why at what afterwards was, why? Like, why did he even, why did he even do that? Um, but Sean White did not see it that way. He knew that he was free. And it was having that gold medal essentially clenched in his hands that propelled him and freed him to be able to try something that had never been done before because he had absolutely nothing to lose. So for Sean, having the gold medal already wrapped up, it didn't make him lazy. It didn't make him complacent. Instead, it made him free to try something new. And knowing that he had already clinched that, it just gave him this power and this emboldened spirit to try new things. In the first three chapters of Colossians, Paul is telling us, the gold medal is already wrapped up. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and it is all by God's grace all from Jesus dying for you, for rising again um, from the dead for you. You can't mess this up. You are already his child. You are already in him. And that should free us up as we talk and think about evangelism. 
you are secure, your status is secure if you are in Christ, and that frees you up to go love outsiders. Um, and we do that by prayer and by talking to people about Jesus. And so, oh, would you grab me a Bible? I'm sorry I got here without it. Let's, we're going to have two points, so this is very short. Um, the first point we're going to do is talking to God about people, which is another word phrase for prayer. And the second is talking to people about God, which is evangelism. And so we are going to, I know if you have your Bibles, if not in your um, notebooks, we're going to look at Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Um, and that's where we will start this morning. Verse 2, continually steadfast, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So before we ever talk to people about who God is, we are to talk to God about people. And it's very clear that the foundation of our relationships with people outside of the church is prayer. In verse 2, Paul is talking and urging them to continue steadfastly in prayer. In other words, prayer is not just kind of this thing you pick up and put down. It's not this occasional thing. It's to be the thread of our lives. Um, we are to have this posture of dependence on God, knowing that we can do nothing without him. And so if we are continually in prayer, we are showing that we depend on something else greater than ourselves. Um, it's, it's, it's God. Um, I want to read a quote from um, a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. It's, he says, and this is convicting, If you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy, but if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own. No matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will always find time to pray. And later in his book, he says, because we can do life without God, praying just seems nice, but sometimes unnecessary. And that was so convicting to me um, because we can. We can go through life without our dependence on God. It doesn't mean that our life is going to be easier, that it's going to go well, but we can just tune him out and forget to pray and be dependent on ourselves. But that is not what Paul is calling us to do. In verse 2, um, he also says, prayer should not only be continual, something that you're constantly doing, but also watchful. And the commentators had a lot of different ideas on what this watchful means, so we don't exactly know. But I kind of settled on this alertness, where to be ready, where to be alert. Um, it's at least an alertness of what Jesus is up to in the world, um, that you are praying with your eyes open, that you're aware of the people that are around you, that you're aware of and alert to your own heart and its tendencies, that you're aware of what Jesus is doing, and that you're giving thanks to him. So we pray continually because we are always dependent on God, and we are watchful, we are alert, because we want to be aware of what God is doing in the world. But then Paul ask them to specifically pray for something. What does he ask them to pray for? In verse 3, Paul asked them to pray for an open door. 
He says that God may open to us, meaning Paul, Timothy, and Epaphras, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may speak it clearly. And Paul is asking the church to pray that doors would be opened, that opportunities would come their way, that they could preach the word clearly to outsiders. And all pastors, I'm going to plug this as a pastor's wife, all pastors need us to pray that, that they would speak clearly and that the hearts would be opened by God. Um, But I love this imagery of the open door. Paul isn't asking, remember he's in jail, or at least in house arrest, but he's not asking that his literal door, his literal chains would be off and open um, so that he could return to preaching in person. Um, I'm sure he wanted that, but that was not what was at the top of his prayer list. He is singularly focused on the advancement of the gospel. And that's challenging, isn't it? Who is usually at the top of our prayer list? What is at the top of your prayer list? Uh, If you're like me, it's a lot of my needs. It's a lot of my friends' needs, my family's needs. And there is nothing wrong with praying for our needs. We can bring everything to the Father. But I want us to think, do we regularly pray for God to open doors um, for the gospel to advance in our relationships, in our city, and to the world? So think, what is the content of my prayers? Am I mission-centered or am I self-centered? Paul is calling them to pray for open doors so that God can be, um, the gospel can be preached, and so that not only are doors open, but the doors of people's hearts, the eyes of people's hearts um, open so that the lost might receive the good news. He's calling the Colossians to be thinking about others, to be praying for others, that doors would be opened, and he also references himself and Timothy and Epaphras, And those were the people there that were taking the good news around. Um, And I love thinking about Paul and knowing his background and who he is. Because Paul firsthand knows that it is God who works. Remember who Paul was. He was a persecutor of Christians. Um, He was not someone who loved Jesus or wanted the advancement of the gospel. His own life is an illustration in itself. Um, His conversion story is he's on that road to Damascus. And he is called Saul, and he's persecuting Christians. And on that road, he is literally stopped in his tracks, and Jesus opens his eyes and allows him to see him. God was the one who opened his heart um, on the day that Paul believed. And he went immediately from being a persecutor of Christians to one who was taking the gospel. God tasked him to take the gospel to the world. He went from killing Christians to multiplying their numbers. And so Paul knows exactly who God is and exactly where the power comes from. He knows it's only God who could have ever opened and changed his heart and his desires. And it was the Holy Spirit who turned the lights on, who took off the change of his sin and made him free and allowed him to see the beauty of Christ. And Paul did. He followed him for the rest of his days, and we see that in this chapter. Um, But this is true of us, too, if we are in Christ. It is only God who has opened your heart if you have accepted Christ. Um, And we often forget that it's a miracle that any of us are saved, right? That that any of us um, come to the Lord. It is not what sinners naturally desire. Sinners are full of disbelief, unbelief. We're chained to sin. We live in darkness. We needed the um, Lord to open our hearts to see him. And so it almost goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. If we are to pray that doors will open, these are not doors that we can open in our own strength. Um, it, we need God to do it. That means there is no amount of coercion or the perfect gospel pitch that can open the doors to people's hearts. But mysteriously, God's purpose and power to open doors is unleashed through our prayers. We see that over and over again in the scripture. 
So if God doesn't open the door, the door is closed. But if God opens the door, anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone can come to Christ. And so we are to pray continually and watchfully for God to do what only he can do. And this is specifically what Paul is calling them to pray for, that God would open doors. So let me ask you, are you praying for doors to open for those near to you and those far off? Um, and what are the open doors that you think that may never be opened? Is it a, is it a family member, a longtime friend, a coworker? If you're like me, there may be someone in your life that you think, you know, maybe you prayed for them at a time, and you know they're living in the chains of your sin, and you just think, I just, it's just going to take a while. I just don't even know if it's going to happen anymore. You've kind of given up. And I would encourage you to continue to pray for those people because God loves to open doors. He does not want people to miss out on the inheritance of eternal life with him. Um, sometimes we get discouraged and we think it's just never going to happen for them. And that is not true. If God opens the door, anyone can come to saving faith in Christ. And doors are only closed until they're open. And Paul is telling us to pray that our prayers are effectual and that God will open doors. He loves to do so, and he has more than enough power to do it. So we're continually to pray that doors will be open, that more will believe, and that's, that just gives us so much hope, right? As we just said, God is the one who opens the doors. It's not, it's not up to you for people to come to faith in Christ. God uses you, and he uses your words and your prayers, but it's God who has the power to open hearts. Okay, so Paul, remember, he's in chains for preaching the gospel, but the government didn't lock up the gospel. They just locked up Paul. They couldn't lock up the good news of Jesus. It continued to go out. We don't know how many places and people Paul would have reached had he not gone to prison. But what we do have is all of these letters that are included in the Bible that for the last 2,000 years have been read by millions and millions of people. And God has used some of those to bring people to Christ um, to a, for a multitude that no man can, can number. And so if you want to see the doors open to the gospel for your family, for your city, and for the world, get on your knees and start praying. And I hope that this, this takes some pressure off from this evangelism that can sometimes scare us. Um, you don't have to have the perfect pitch. You don't have to know every scripture. And you don't have to live this perfect, exemplary life all the time because none of us can. You are first and foremost called to pray, and God is the one who will open the doors. Um, when I was at Ole Miss, freshman year, I was living in the dorm, and I don't know if many of you lived in dorms, but if you did, you really get to know people that are around you, right? You're brushing your teeth, you're riding the elevators, you're walking to class, you're practically hearing their phone conversations through the doors, you know, we're all living in these little <laughs> tight quarters, and I really got to know the girls, and thankfully, I loved the people on either side of me, and um, we came from all various backgrounds, and probably would not have naturally been friends, but because of our proximity, we were. And there was a girl who I just loved, and the more time went on, you know, for college can be a time that people try on all kinds of different things. And um, she became someone who was drinking a lot, and it was very scary to me because she would come and tell me and plop on my bed and tell me all these stories, and I was like, this sounds really dangerous. <laughs> this sounds really scary. Um, she would go home with guys and not know who they were, and not know where she was. And I just was like, there is literally nothing I can do besides pray for her. And I, I started to do it because I just was in such despair for the track that her life was taking. I just remember going to bed praying like, Lord, 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 please open her heart that she can see you, that everything she is living for is so empty and is not, I mean, 
I don't know if she would say it, but it was not bringing her fullness. It was not bringing her joy. Um, and to be honest, I did not see many answers to those prayers for that year. And I wish I could say that as college continued that I continued to pray for her, but I didn't. It was kind of, we moved into different places the next year and she just wasn't on my mind that much. But um, years later, I mean, 10, 15 years later, I heard that she became a Christian. And it brought me so much joy to know that God heard that prayer, and I know probably the prayers of other people and the teachings of other people to bring her to saving faith in him. Um, and that is what Paul is inviting us to do, to pray for the lost around you. So we're going to move on to, um, to point number two, talking to God about people. Oh, sorry, talking to people about God. We just did talking to God about people. Um, so let's look at Colossians 4, verse 4 through six, that I um, may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And in this um, section, Paul is talking about how Christians are to interact with the outsiders around us. And outsiders is just unbelievers. Um, and we don't have to guess what Paul's goal was, what he wanted for outsiders. He just told us he wants them to know the mystery of this Christ in us. Um, so let's bring everything that we've learned thus far in Colossians together. Christ is in you if you're a believer. And if the goal that Paul has for outsiders is for them to encounter Christ, then you, or I, you and I are how outsiders will encounter Christ because we have Christ in us. And we put on those clothes that smell like Christ. And we take him with us where we go. And Paul says, if we want people to know the true Jesus, we need to reflect him through our relationships. That's what we talked about last week. Specifically in the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we talk, and the way that we use our time. It's something that you embody more and more. In verse, um, let's look in verse 5. Um, Paul says, in wisdom, walk towards outsiders. Wisdom is God-given. It is something that we have to pray for. Um, it is not just knowledge. It is a supernatural wisdom that is granted by God. Um, that as we continue to live in Christ, we put on more and more. We're able, God grants us that wisdom. Um, and if we look again in verse 5, a little bit further down, it says, make the best use of the time. And I spent a lot of time looking at these verses thinking, okay, what, what does that exactly mean? This is just being intentional with people around you. Um, and the verb that is, is here, it says, walk towards people, <laughs> essentially, if you narrow it down. So he's telling us to walk, and he's also telling us the direction. We are to walk towards people. We're to be intentional. We are not to walk away. Um, God is giving us the exact direction of which we are to walk. And um, we can't waste the opportunities that he's given us. And I want to encourage you, you don't, some people are called to go to the ends of the earth, but not everybody is. Um, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth to find outsiders, to find unbelievers. You probably have neighbors, coworkers. Maybe you have common hobbies and get together with people outside of the church. Maybe you have a tennis group, or maybe it's the mom that you meet who's a good friend of your son's and uh, his mother. Whatever the people, whatever the relationships are that God is putting in your path, wherever you are, you can be intentional for the gospel. And Paul tells us where to walk, and now he's telling us how to talk. 
In verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I love that because it, it's saying that evangelism involves gracious speech, not harsh speech. It's speech that is seasoned with salt. And salt, as we know, is a flavor um, preservative. If you taste a cookie without salt, it just doesn't taste right. You think, I mean, children, every, every time I have three kids, every time I've taught them to bake, why are you putting salt in there? It's going to taste so bad. It makes it better. It doesn't make it worse. Um, I don't know what thoughts come into your mind when you hear the word evangelism. But sometimes we think it's not going to taste sweet. It's going to taste like cough syrup, like medicine as a kid. You're like pouring that red liquid stuff, and you're like, okay, I just got to do it. Like, okay. That's not evangelism. It's not something we have to just like grit and bear and have to do. Um, we often think, okay, if, I, if I'm called to evangelism and we're all called to evangelism, I guess I just need to go door to door and start knocking, <laughs> right? And asking people like, do you believe? Do you believe? And some people are great at that. And that is not, I'm not saying that that is a bad method. Um, but for a lot of us, that's not what ordinary day-to-day evangelism looks like. It's gracious speech, season with salt. It's the kind of language that brings people in and it's attractive, it's encouraging. Um, Jaron Bars, who is a professor at Covenant Seminary in evangelism, he has spent a lot of time kind of observing people and how Christians specifically interact with non-Christians. And he noticed that Christians' first instinct is to criticize, to tell what is wrong with the world. You know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and this, and this book is terrible, and we can't let our kids do this, and we can't do that. And we just start off with a negative bent. And if he is right, why is that? Why is it that Christians are the first to be critical, to point out what's bad instead of what's finding what's good? What's good in the world, what's beautiful in people? Kind of rallying around that point, praising it, making connections there. Are you being kind? Are you being intentional? Are you pursuing and relating to those around you? Because God uses ordinary people doing normal stuff to bring this extraordinary message to the world. And that's what changes the world. You are just called to use the gifts that he has already given you for the advancement of his kingdom. Maybe that's hospitality, maybe that's the gift of teaching, maybe that's your friendliness, maybe it's money that you can give overseas or to, to missions nearby. I want, I want to also say this is the mission of the church, so you don't have to be overwhelmed. You as a singular individual are not asked to take the gospel to everyone in the world. That is the mission of the whole church. It's a team effort, and we are bound together, working where God has placed us. So with wisdom, we're to discern when to talk and when to listen. Remember, let your speech be gracious. We're not yelling and shoving the gospel down people's throats. Um, I once heard a pastor tell a story about another pastor. Um, and this pastor was on a train, and the guy next to him kept saying, um, Would you like, won't you take a sip of this flask? And the pastor kept saying, no, I'm good, thanks. And finally the man uh, you know, kept, keeps asking, keeps asking, and then they move on. So what do, you, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And with a pain look, the man says, you must think I'm an awful person. And the pastor immediately says, no, I was just thinking you were a generous man. And I love that. Do you sense how that answer lifted the tension in that moment? How the pastor was giving the man the benefit of the doubt instead of his first instinct being criticism. He spoke gracious words from a kind heart. Was it more, or would it have been more evangelistic for that man um, to have been repulsed by the pastor, for the pastor to have critiqued him, 
or was it more evangelistic for him to be given the benefit of the doubt? Um, let's look at the second part of verse 6. Paul writes, so that you may know how to answer each person. Remember, people are individuals. We're all different. And that means you don't have to go into your relationships with a certain fixed gospel evangelism presentation or strategy that you try to speed through, that you get to the end and say, okay, okay, you ready? Are you ready to accept, accept Jesus? Are you ready to turn your life over to him? Do you want to be a Christian? I think these verses are so freeing for us because it allows us just to be normal with people, to be good friends, to get to know people who are non-Christians, to listen to their questions, to pray for an open door. And when God opens that door, to be willing to walk through it and to talk to people about Christ, about what he's done for you in your life. And remember that our hope is that people encounter Christ. And one of the ways that they're going to do that is through you. Um, so are you being intentional with the people around you? We listen to people, we care for people, we love people, and we're to be ready to give an answer. Um, when you're with someone and you hear their stories, or their fears, their worries, you know at the end of the day what they truly need. Um, if you've been with people long enough who are walking outside of Christ, you know if they're searching for peace with God, only Jesus can give that peace. Um, if they need forgiveness of sins, you know only Jesus can forgive them. If they need freedom from the guilt and shame that you see them carry, only Jesus can free them. And if they need hope, only Jesus can give that hope. So maybe evangelism for you looks like just giving someone your time to listen to them, to their bad day, to their hard family relationships, to their sorrows and to their joys. And if you think they don't know Christ, pray that God will open the door for you to share the good news of the gospel with them. Maybe you can invite them to a Bible study or to church or just a coffee. Invite them into your life, um, hoping that they will see Christ in you and that you will have the opportunity to share Christ with them, that, you, that they can hear the, the hope of the gospel. Because the church is a community of people who have received good news, and we share that good news. Um, I don't know how many of you have read The Hiding Place or are familiar with that book. It's by Corey Ten Boom, and it is an autobiographical book about her life. Um, she was in a concentration camp, and um, I need to go back and read it. My kids read it every year when they're in sixth grade at school, and so frequently I read a little section to them out loud when they get tired at night. And, and it's always, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, need, I, just, I don't even want to go to bed. I want to finish the whole rest of this book. Because you see, through Corey, the faith was so real to them. Their God was so close to them. And it's our God. Um, he was everything to them, especially when everything else was stripped away. Because Corey and her sister, Betsy, um, they went to a series of concentration camps. And in the last one, um, it was the worst one that they had been in yet. And as soon as they got into their new barracks, they marched there and they realized it was overcrowded and where they were sleeping was infested with fleas, and it was just, it was just awful. And one morning, Kari and Betsy got up and read the Bible, and they came to 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, which says, give thanks in all circumstances. And if you've read the book, you kind of know the sister-sibling dynamic. Um, Betsy immediately hears that, and she says, let's stop and do that right now. And Kari's thinking, okay. Like, what are we gonna, what are we gonna thank him for <laughs> right now? We are in a concentration camp. Everything stinks. We have nowhere to sleep. We're so tight, and there are fleas everywhere. 
And she, Betsy says, let's thank God now for every detail in life, even the fleas. And Kari and Betsy had been able to sneak a Bible with them. It's kind of this amazing story. You see how God's protected his word and allowed him them to have this Bible through all of the places. When everything else has been stripped from every prisoner, there's a guard that looks the other way. There's all these miraculous things that they're able to have this little Bible with them. And um, they had Bible studies. They had prayer meetings in their little barracks where they lived. And they didn't know, why, why is this still happening? Like, why, why is nobody coming in and stopping this? We've never been able to do these Bible studies before. And several months later, they learned that the reason that the guards were not stopping them is because they didn't want to go in. They, didn't, they knew about the fleas, and they never wanted to go in. And so truly, even the places that you would least expect it, God was opening doors, even using fleas to share the advancement of the gospel in the world, even in a concentration camp. And the same is true in our relationships, in our situations. God is here, and he is always at work. He is always opening doors and providing opportunities for the gospel to go forth. And while we wait for those doors to open, may we be busy praying and moving towards outsiders with wisdom and gracious speech, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. When those God doors open, that God opens, may we courageously walk through them, and know just what a privilege it is that God even allows us a front row seat to all that he is doing in the world. Remember, in Christ, you have everything, Christian. Jesus is all that you need. He is God made visible. He is the creator and the sustainer. He's the head of the church. He reconciles us to God. And Jesus really is more beautiful than everything else. May we always hold fast to him. So I'm going to end where Paul ends his letter. In verse 18, um, Paul says, while he's in chains, grace be with you. And that is exactly how he began his letter in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, grace be with you. He bookends his letter with grace. And grace is the unearned favor and presence of Christ. Christ is all that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us. He is truly more beautiful than everything that the world has to offer us. Keep him near to our minds. Make us people, Lord, who, who pray, who pray fervently for your spirit to open doors to the gospel in our relationships close to us um, and people who are outside the church and also that doors would open all throughout the world, that your gospel would go forth, that people would have soft hearts and that they would hear the good news and turn to you. Make us attentive and a courageous people who walk through those doors when you open them, knowing that it is you who have all the power. In your name we pray. Amen.